Shuhar here for me to enlighten you. You ever act like this again, you're barred for life. It's just vile and base. It's kind of embarrassing. If you know your lines, then you can forget them. Oh, I get it. It's very clever. <laughs> Oh, okay, and we got to do we got, we really quickly we have to talk about which angel was your favorite, but um, <laughs> they do have. It does seem that um, you know humanity being the final angel could even just be a title, like because humanity decides, you know what, let's start the end of the world, because mm-hmm. it seems like n- that wasn't going to happen until they went. Well, we built the Ava series, which is angels, you know, whatever it is, eight through fifteen or something like that. Yeah, and so they're trying to you know force evolution, this, that, and the other thing. But you could argue that just by doing that, they're becoming the final angel, yeah. right? I mean, that's where that title comes from. Um, yeah, I just, man, there's too many layers. <laughs> I know, <laughs> right? Too many layers. <laughs> but I think that I think that that's part of what makes it effective and and easy to talk about, right? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Okay, so before we move on, please, I have to. If you want to just pull up a list of the angels, like I, I have to know. Which of the angels was your favorite, and you have to tell me why? Just because, like, I don't know that I can pick, but I will attempt to pick while you go through. But I, I know that I have an answer that I generally give. Um, but, but what do you got? Yeah. So for me, I actually do remember. Uh, I was watching a summation of the, the the episode that had like all the angels sort of pop up, and I th- like. Uh, so I definitely like the. Uh, the spider angel with the with the acid drippy thing, right? Like, <laughs> and here's the thing: all the, all of the angels are cool, right? Like, especially because at first they're more monsters, and then they sort of start to become like more energy beings, right? So even like, uh, I really like like the giant one in space that's just this like you know crazy ge- geometry of energy. That one's super cool, um, and I think also part of it too is the way in which the three of them end up coming together to defeat that spider angel. You know, it's really like a lot of times it's really just like two playing decoy and then one getting in a great shot. But that was a really cool choreography of like, okay, you'll play defense and then you'll pop out at the last minute and then I'll shoot up and then you'll come in. And like, it was really cool to see him resolve it that way as well. So um, I think just everything around that angel was, was really imaginative as well. I 100% agree. And I love that we didn't get to see its face or its eye right away. It was for a long time, it was just legs yeah. over the mountains. And it was just, yeah. Um, I personally love that angel, but I also really love the one that, like, um, you have to sort of Google some stuff to figure out what they're talking about, which is the angel that looks like a sphere, but is actually a shadow on the floor mm. and stepping into the shadow, like, cap. Yeah. Uh, captures you into the sphere yeah, or something yeah, it's yeah. got it's a 2d being with a 3d shadow and just like ritzko's explanation of that where she goes oh it's just a diroxy and you know this is a totally normal concept in physics it's all about <laughs> negative numbers this that, and the other thing i'm like okay whatever so i googled it and it's real um, it's a real it's a real concept yeah, right yeah, yeah but then just like you you almost see it coming when they go oh it's sort of like it's like a cocoon and then this is a thing you almost in your head go oh something's gonna tear its way out of this thing but then watching ava unit one just tear its way out of the <laughs> angel is so satisfying so I satisfying mean, 
Ava Unit 1 gets vicious and savage yeah. in this series, throughout the series, right? But that one of those moments was one of, that was one of my favorite moments personally. Absolutely. All right, I apologize. Let's no, go back no. to discussing the movie. Yeah, no, and that's and that's part of the fun. You know, we're talking about all the metaphysical and, you know, metaphors and all this stuff. But, like, yeah, as we've mentioned before, there is definitely an element of, like, giant robot go boom and, you know, cool energy monster, you know, does weird shit. And just, again, the 14-year-old boy in you. Uh, just, you know, enjoying the crap out of all these cool elements of this cartoon series, you know? So it's not just all psychology all the time or metaphysical breakdowns. It's There's a lot of just, hey, this is fun. This is a mech anime. Let's not forget that as well. But there is a lot of metaphysical, depressive, yes. philosophical stuff. To be <laughs> Which is all the stuff that we're talking about here. Um, and, you know, so when episode 25 does end, uh, the Spear of Longinus has returned to Earth. I, 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 I want to kind of ask you if you have any ideas on how that happened, first of all. But regardless, it just sort of apparently of its own volition just hopped out of the moon and came back or some shit. I don't know. So this is one of those. Right, but either way, moments. so real quick, just before you, before I hear your opinion of it, uh, what happens is it basically penetrates Auska's newly, uh, not newly developed, but newly realized AT field. It pierces her head in like a very violent fashion, right? And we see her responding to that, like Auska herself within as well. And the it kind of knocks her back, and then the S twos have this really violent, like it reminded me of like a zombie film where they're literally going in and like pulling her guts out, the Eva twos guts that is. But yeah, as far as the actual spear is concerned, like where the hell did that come from? <laughs> so the spear that Oscar gets pierced with, if I'm not mistaken, is not the actual spear, right? It's the sword. It's one of the swords that the Ava series brought with them. And it turns out that those are actually replicas of the Spear of Longinus. And we just didn't know that because they're able okay. to change form on the blade, right? I believe that makes a lot more sense. When the Spear actually returns to Earth, it is it is at the behest of Ava Unit 1, is it not? Doesn't Shinji, like, put his hand into the air or something and then the Spear comes? Maybe we should, maybe we should watch well, it. Really I was, well, I wasn't so sure about that either. I was people. actually going to follow up. Yeah, no, I was actually going to follow up by being like, there's two spears where I'm not really sure what the, where the hell they came from because there's that, and then all of a sudden they're like, oh, the Spear of Longinus is returning to Earth now. It's like, wait, I thought it just did. So I was kind of a little bit lost there. Go figure. No, I think I think that it is <laughs> it is a moment where, you know, Shinji realizes, oh, I have, there's some sort of AT connection between Ava Unit 1 and the Spear. And, and to that whole point, man, I love that they never explain what the F the spear is or where it came from. Did we construct it? <laughs> yeah. Why is it able to hold an angel in place? Like, what is going on? Right. Is it built of the bone of Adam? I mean, it kind of feels that way just because it's got yeah. that angel, like, organic technology sort of thing is going Longinus on. Is Longinus a planet? Is Longinus a god? Like, yeah, who is this I Longinus? Mean, they, who or what is Longinus? Did they name it that specifically for the metaphorical reason, or was it already named that when they found it? <laughs> but... Evangelion is brilliant because they don't tell you that. And guess what? You don't need to know. You just need to watch what's happening and understand how it functions. And to your point, we mostly do. But right here, it does become a little bit of like, okay, so does Shinji now have access to complete control over the AT field because he's got a new level of sync going on with this Ava, which is what I think it is. And if the spear mm -hmm. is originally, you know, angel technology then i feel like it must be an at connection thing and his strength is what allows it to reach so far and that draws that spear back to earth it could mm. also be the release of lilith 
you know, when Lilith drops off of that cross and creates the huge wave of LCL, that could be the spear going, oh, time to go back to Earth. You know, it's definitely got a little bit of a Mjolnir thing going on, but it, yeah. it, it also is, it immediately becomes, because of that, it immediately becomes a commentary on man's tendency to pervert nature, right? Because we've created this S2 series, which is just this perversion of what the Avas are supposed to be. There's no actual pilot. It's it they're they're beasts. They're very beast-like and feral in nature. And we perverted the design of the Spear of Longinus to be like, you know, cooler and better looking and easier for them to carry. So it's a double-bladed sword. So it's like there is some commentary on man's hubris there, I think. And Nice. That Ava series, man, they're so gross. And and I, I love, <laughs> love, love watching Asuka put her different limbs through the faces of those things all over the course of three minutes. And yes, to your point, we do get, she does get, she loses. She loses this fight, spoiler alert. But yeah. man, watching her just dance her way through all that carnage and chaos and blood and we get to see features of the Ava we've never seen before, the shoulder spikes, the prog knife snapping off and a new blade comes out like, oh, <laughs> I love this. I love it so much, Jason. <laughs> it's definitely, definitely cool, dude. And uh, yeah, just the wicked grins and the character design is fantastic. Ugh. And uh, now... We've got the uh, we've got the Eva One being piloted by Shinji here, and it's kind of basically getting to the point where it's beyond his control. You know, we've kind of got this imagery that we saw at the end of episode twenty-five before we got to here real quick, where you know he's in the Eva, he's kind of like screaming because you know um, angel wings have grown and he's stuck within Eva One, and but all of and it's very reminiscent of like the imagery that we saw of the second impact where we got saw certain glimpses of that. So uh, we definitely kind of understand that, okay, it's, 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 there's something similar going on here. And then we see where Sila actually introduces their plan and they're using Eva one as what they call a quote, sacrificial medium for the third impact. And they need it to resurrect the quote, central tree using the S twos and Eva one to basically create this physical impact that is not the actual third impact. It's sort of like a, a precursor to the third impact that creates what's called the egg of Lilith, which is this giant black sphere that is going to basically that is necessary to, you know, quote unquote, birth the next evolution of life, so to speak. And we're going to see the ray being sort of, you know, Hmm. engaging with that. Right. I was just going to say, so I feel like we have to note, though, the 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 egg of Lilith is where Nerv was constructed. So the entire series up to this point has taken place inside Nerve, right? Which is built inside of this, inside the sphere. We just oh, didn't I know that that's what that, it dude. was. Yeah, the oh, physical wow. impact when they go, oh, you know, they're, it, they show it uh, on the monitor. They go, all of these layers, Nerve is exposed to the atmosphere. That's why that cave exists. That's why there's a geofront, you know, underground, so to speak. It's because they're on the inside of a sphere, kind of like a Dyson oh, wow. sphere. So it's it's so it, is the it idea that that was revealed. actually like buried underground, like that sphere, and so the explosion just dusted, blew all the dust away, and like, oh look, there's this thing here the whole time. Oh, dude, yep. that's that's a trip. I I totally thought that it was like 
a, a creation that was a result of the explosion, right? Like a pred, you know, pressure and coal equals diamond type thing or something. But right, no, if this so is more of like a two thousand one, like the monolith was down there the whole time, and this just excavated it, and it's yep. there to trigger the next stage of evolution. Like that's awesome, and it fits with everything we've seen up to this point, where. It's like, you know, probably the only person that knew that was probably Gendo because yeah. he is like, oh, well, then I'll just situate my actual base on the site of where this will happen because then I can guarantee that I will be able to be there when it happens and I'll have some modicum of control over it. And it it would lead to that's why Nerve was built there because when they got there, Lilith was already there and they went, oh, pin her to this cross, gotcha. build this whole facility around her, we'll create the Avas, right? So I just, I feel like we have to bring that up because it was something that I did not understand on my first go-through. I was like, what? <laughs> what? <laughs> like, I thought, okay, is that a piece of the moon? Because they call it the black moon or yeah. the white moon, and I was like, oh, what? what is going on? So yes, there is a is a vessel here that Gendo has been already aware of this entire time. Wow. That's so, insane, dude. And, and it does, it goes back to, okay, so the difference between Zele's plan and Gendo's plan, right, is Zele going, we need a sacrificial medium. It's going to be Ava 1. Yeah. And Gendo going, nah, it's going to be Lilith. And we're going to use Ava 1 as our vessel to persist forever. Yeah. Whereas they believe that Earth is the vessel, or maybe the Black Moon is the vessel, and that Lilith will just kind of let us all live there and fly through space with her for all eternity. Well, I don't know Whereas about Gendo that though. Is going, so, so because well, the one, because yeah, so, so because the one thing that I'll say is earlier on, in, just in this discussion, we mentioned there was that line about where they said basically like the Spear of Longinus. I think at the top of this discussion, the Spear of Longinus is gone. Lilith can't be the uh, like we can't use the angels to trigger singularity so we have to like pivot over to using Ava's now so I think that it was right. like so this 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 is sort of like the their tweak to their original plan so to speak like I think it's their plan now but I don't think it was their plan originally I think it's what it's evolved into given the way everything shake uh, has shaken out correct and I feel that Gendo manipulated them into that yeah. because when there is that moment during the series when uh, he says something like, oh, the Spear of Longinus, and his assistant guy goes, oh, that's early, isn't it? Like, shouldn't they not be doing yeah, that? Uh -huh. He's like, nope, it's totally fine. Let him do it. <laughs> Go for it. Because in his head, he goes, this is all going to my plan. They get rid of the spear, thus thinking Ava Unit 1 is the only way to institute instrumentality. But little do they know that once Shinji is able to sink sufficiently with Ava Unit 1, the spear will come back, and then I can use it to sacrifice the angel instead of the Ava, and then we can move forward on my terms and not their terms. Yeah. I believe I believe that's the case. <laughs> really tangled up, but I think that's where I landed, personally. Nice, yeah, no, that definitely trends. And, uh, you know, in terms of the episode, or the movie, rather, this is where things start to get a, uh, pretty crazy pretty quickly. We've got the um, Akari's basically going to fuse with Rei, and interestingly, you know, when he sticks his hand in her, her physical body, she she severs it and she says, no, you're not going to, you know, and that's that's a big step for Ray, who literally at a certain point in the TV series said, I would kill myself if Commander Ikari told me to 100 percent. Right. And so we literally see her 
taking that final agency of herself, you know, of her body, um, you know, literally severing his hand for violating her, her body and her space, right? Like punishing him and taking that control and becoming, you know, in essence, the sort of, you know, mother of the next stage of humanity, um, which is interesting as a concept that what a character that a number of people would say was never human to begin with within the context of the world that was created, right, would then be the mother of humanity. There's just, I mean, that's a hugely, you can debate that for hours, right? So a couple of things here. Um, yes. First of all, to everything you've said, yes. Secondarily, uh, this is a hugely important scene, as you mentioned, for Ray because she's taking the step of asserting identity up to this point she's gone i don't know who i am i'm an empty vessel this that and the other thing i would do whatever mm-hmm. for anyone well specifically for gendo but she goes you know what no i don't <laughs> i don't think so just because you said so i don't think so so it is another instance of gendo believing that he knows for sure the best way for things to go down and but much like every other character in the series up to this point except for gendo he suddenly realizes oh there is no such thing as complete control it doesn't matter how many different fail safes you put in place or how many pieces of the board you manipulate there will always be some factors that you can't account for and one of those is the human heart so when when ray decides you know what i'd rather have my own identity you know, she, it's kind of a beautiful metaphor that she takes his hand, right? Because that's in a lot of places, that's the punishment for yeah. stealing. And he has stolen her identity, her agency, her soul repeatedly. And she's like, okay, well, then I'm going to take your hand for that. Um, yeah, so I nice love metaphor. that. Love that. But it is a, <laughs> it, it is definitely a, you know, he has hedged every bet that he's ever made. So this is, this is his bet like hedging itself against him. This is his one of his his uh, avenues for control going, hmm, I think I'm going to control you instead. So it really does illustrate that all humanity, even if they're trying to like unify souls, there is a selfish part of humanity that can't be gotten around. And Ray is going, you're that part. You're the selfish part of humanity. We need to get around <laughs> you if this is going to work. I have plenty of experience being open and allowing souls into me, so I can keep doing that on a grand cosmic scale. But you don't, I don't think you get to go with. So it's it's just, and, yeah. and you know, of course, the the one woman in Gendo's life who decides that's it, I'm exercising agency over you is uh, causes the end of humanity. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And there's that whole, you know, it's a concept that's been examined in a number of works over hundreds of years, which is just the hubris of man to think that you can control something beyond yourself, right? Like, oh yeah, like you are foolish enough to think that you can create a God that has powers far beyond what you could ever actualize yet remain in control of such a creature that's 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 a special kind of dumb that only man has right and i mean you go you go back to king kong that was the exact point of king kong you know and then 100 100 years later the same themes coming about well and it i mean it also comes to you cannot even control a 
another person, like, let alone a beast or uh, an uh, otherworldly entity of any kind, right? Like, because the Avas themselves are super advanced humans, and they ha- they're making their own choices. Like, dude, you, you chained them into this armor, and you put all these restrictions on them, and you control their mind, and this, that, and the other thing, and you deactivate their agency, but still sometimes they will raise their hand to protect their son from falling debris. Like... It, you cannot chain the human heart, and it's the whole series is an exercise in different groups of people going. But what if we chained the human heart? <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. So now we've got the you know the big fusion that kind of sets up the ending, and that's we have Ray. She's finally taken her agency. She goes to Lilith, presents herself before Lilith, and then fuses with her. At which point, uh, Lilith is able to remove herself from the cross. And then evolve, grow, etc., into this giant energy being that is physically represented as Ray. Um, but you know, I think it's it, that's just the physical representation, right? It's it's a whole lot of everything going on at once. It's Ray. It's God. It's the universe. It's the creation of life. Like you know, all of those elements that were ultimately responsible for. Genesis, right? The creation of life, uh, whether, you know, the elements we know of, the elements we don't, all those are present and sort of encapsulated within this giant energy ray, right? And the interesting thing is that she presents herself to Shinji as such, and he just starts freaking out. And his mind is basically breaking, right? Because there's the whole notion uh, that uh, that's pretty commonly accepted that, like, if we ever were, as humans, exposed to whatever crazy thing out there made us, that, like, it would literally break our minds, right? Like, you see it uh, explored in, like, H.P. Lovecraft as well, right? Like, you saw the horror from beyond that created the universe, and, you know, now you're in a mental hospital because you just, we're, we're not designed to accept that level of understanding, right? And, and I think there's a lot of, uh, of truth to that, you know? I think... Um, and so when we see that, we understand that that's part of Sile's plan as well because they need the pilot within this EVA to experience what's called ego death. Now, I don't know if you're familiar with this, but ego death is an actual oh, yes. psychological concept. And the the definition, which I will say out loud, which, you know, is probably going to make everyone listening chuckle because of how on the nose it is. It's a psychological concept defined as, quote, a complete loss of subjective self-identity. How perfect is that? Come on. And then from there, they've basically, because of this ego death occurs, they've got this completely empty vessel which again, interesting concept that, you know, Ray was the empty vessel and now here she is the mother of the next stage of humanity and Shinji is now the empty vessel upon which Sile is going to imprint their psychological values to trigger this next stage of evolution. Love that. But the key here seems to be, and as we mentioned before, there are a lot of similarities to like the Matrix or that sort of storytelling where the key seems to be that Shinji has to choose to be the empty vessel, right? He cannot be yeah. pushed into that. He has to decide, yeah, I, I could I could handle all of humanity's souls in one body. Sure, why not? Like, he has to decide that or else, uh, we're not 100%, but maybe uh, instrumentality fails or everybody's just dies, like the liquid just goes splat. We're not 100%. But it does seem imperative to either version of salvation here, either version of this new birth, this neon genesis, has to be based in 
choice and accepting of other people's souls, right? No matter which side yeah. comes out on top, quote unquote, that seems to be the key right there. Absolutely. And then also, you know, again, relating this back to this is all a metaphor for a certain, you know, process of discovery as it relates to depression and coming out of that, right? A large part of depression is of, of overcoming that is exactly what you talked about. It's a like understanding that like your life is yours to take agency of, right? A large part of depression comes about because we feel like we are we feel like we have no control over the direction of life and, you know, life is this, you know, tangible thing that has literally grasped us and forced us into a life that we don't want to live, but it's so greater than us that we can't do anything to change our situation. And so this is just the way things are, right? And that's where you sort of get martyr complexes that can develop from that, right? There's a lot around that. But it's about taking agency and then also accepting that, yes, like it or not, other people are a part of life and you you can't control them. You can't control other people's emotions. You can only control your response to their response and just understanding that's the way it is. You know, like you're not doing anything wrong, homie. Like this is this is how life is for everybody. Your experience matches other people. And so, again, you know, part of it is just. Knowing that other people going to be other people and there's often not a whole lot you can do about it. But what you can do is take agency of your own decisions and your own responses. And so, you know, again, that dovetails nicely into what you just mentioned. When we see each character do that in their turn here, you know, and it is it is a reaction to what Shinji is told in the original ending of the series, which is, you know, your your heart is what perceives reality to be harsh and uncaring. And it's also your heart that believes you know reality to be the only truth and this movie specifically the second half episode 26 is a a illustration in the coolest sci-fi way possible of each character going oh okay you know i have been victimized it's not to say that there is no such thing as being a victim but it's still up to that victim to go i am I'm going to attempt to move forward. I want to heal. I want to get better. I want to move past this trauma. I'm going, I'm the only one who has the power to decide to do that in conjunction with reaching out to the souls that I know. I have to be willing to ask for help for, you know, whatever it is, but together we can be strong, but I have to decide to reach out in the first place. And you get to see different ways of that. You get to see Asuka going, you know, basically F depression, I'm going to just kick ass constantly. And maybe that's in real life, you know, maybe that's somebody throwing themselves into their work or throwing themselves into a creative project sort of a thing so that by the time they're done being angry about it, the act of creating has taken over and put you back in that positive headspace, right? Maybe Shinji's version of like, you know, I just need to, I just need to accept that life is always going to be difficult but that there are always people around and they deserve a chance you know shinji decides yes humanity deserves a chance that's a choice if you're depressed that you have to make to reach out you know it's it's that kind of a thing and we like we already talked about ray decides i'm going to have an identity same thing you decide no i'm me i'm going to affect change on my life so that the world seems less awful to me i think that's an excellent excellent point jason yeah. And then there's also the element of, um, you know, again, it, it, we talked about ego death being loss of self-identity. And that's another aspect of it, too, which is that 
In order for us to truly know ourselves, it is a fact that we have to compare ourselves to other people. And I think that that can be misinterpreted to say, oh, well, Jason, are you saying that we should live our life in comparison to everyone around us? Like, no. But what I'm saying is that it's the whole essence of like, you need dark to understand light and vice versa, right? Just taking a person, for example, are they tall or are they short? Are they underweight? Are they overweight? You would have no idea if they were either of those things without having the rest of humanity to compare them against, right? And then you say, oh, okay, here's the average, and people less than this are short, and people above this are tall, and people... Like, so, without having the world, the physical world around you to compare yourself to, you become a victim of, you know, your own thoughts, your own mentality, which can just be wildly incorrect. You know, for whatever reason, our minds can lead us horribly astray. They can misinterpret you know, our, our own motivations, our own actions. Uh, it, fr quite frankly, our brains can lie to us. That's what it is. Our brains can lie to us, right? But the world doesn't lie. When you compare yourself, you know, you say, okay, I'm great at basketball. Cool. Well, when you go out there and play basketball against other people, that's where you know whether you're great at basketball or not. Not just because you said you were in your head. But it's really interesting because you've basically just explained what Gendo gives to Shinji in the original ending. When Shinji is just floating with no boundaries and in this empty space, Gendo goes, okay, what if there was a line here and that was the ground? You've just yeah. done the same thing, right? If you, if there, if humanity existed, if one person existed in a vacuum, there'd be no overweight, underweight, short, tall, happy, sad. There would just be that person, right? But, I mean, you could say, you could argue that the whole point of this series is that no one is an island, right? And humanity is always at its best when they're collaborating on podcasts. I mean, when they're collaborating for, <laughs> for, you know, not necessarily always the greater good, but for the sake of existing, right? When people exist for the sake of existing and they live in the moment, that's when we feel like we're having the best version of humanity, I think. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, yeah. I mean, look, you know, to, to kind of delve into this just lightly, right? Like, we're the only species, humanity, that is, that has to really deal with the breadth of, like, self-awareness and emotions, right? Like, I often bring up, like, if, an, if a wild animal is defending its territory and it kills another wild animal, it does not have to deal with any level of grief or regret or guilt after the fact, right? Whereas even someone, a human, completely justified in defending their family against an attack, like, they could still deal with an element of psychological trauma that is going to persist and carry with them, right? And you can extrapolate that over hundreds of thousands of instances, right? Um, we're the only... Like, people talk about, like, oh, we're, we're all animals, and it's like, yes, but again, animals don't deal with the level of self-awareness and conflicting emotions, and, you know, dogs aren't sitting there contemplating what their life means in the greater scheme of the world and getting depressed because they don't know if they're living their true life. Like, so, the human experience is, is an insane crazy one that, you know, for some people it makes perfect sense, for other people it doesn't, but it's just, it's, it's a very unique experience and it doesn't quite fit into, you know, buckets as easily as, as certain other creatures. So there's a lot of these elements that are open to interpretation, subjectivity, not knowing your place in life. And so it's really interesting that, again, you know, this cartoon, <laughs> not to be reductive, but, you know, this cartoon is going these places. I love it. Well, and I think that you, in your in your explanation of humanity, you nailed 
your explanation of the series, right? It is about the human condition. It is about how that changes over time. It is about, you know, how sometimes we push that change on ourselves. Other times our environment seems to force that change. Sometimes we can accept that even if it is a forced change, maybe it's the change we needed and it can be a positive thing. And maybe we can grow and become a really good robot pilot. Or, you know, maybe we just go, I don't like those changes and I'm going to stop caring for a little while and just kind of retreat into myself. So it's like, you know, you explaining the human condition and the, the varying interpretations of that, I think, is a perfect way to even look at the series itself. And I think that it had to be, to that point, it had to be animated because... At the yeah, time, they couldn't 100%. do this story any other way. There, if they tried to do this live action at the time that they did it, it would look awful. First of all, but I think totally. because of that, a lot even of if they the, did it today, it still wouldn't do it justice. A hundred percent. I mean, did you see Pacific Rim? So, I mean, I love, I love. <laughs> trust me, I love Guillermo del Toro. I really do. But man, um, yeah. so it, it's it's. I think this is the medium that you have to have for this exact yes. version of this story and i think it is it adds a couple layers of poignancy because it means that they had to reach out to so many people to collaborate to make this thing work in the first place and it's like like we have said yeah. so many times the levels to this thing are probably what keep us talking about it it's been what like five six hours now man <laughs> like and and i feel Something like we like could keep that, going yeah, it's yeah. Really epic dude <laughs> <laughs> yeah and uh and you know part of uh part of what i love about this too is you know we've talked about just how cool it is to see some of the robot stuff like i love surreal imagery i love sci-fi imagery i love metaphysics and energy representations and you know alex gray is one of my favorite author artists and you know just yeah. any yeah, all of, all, all of that type of, like, metaphysical representation. So just seeing a lot of the visuals towards the end, you know, with the sort of pictographs and a lot of the geometry and the patterns and whatnot and how everything just sort of came together. Like, it was just cool to watch. It was amazing to watch the way that everything unfolded. And, and you know, and then everything being set to this almost sort of, like like Japanese ELO kind of music that's very yeah. happy and bouncy and like 70s pop and it was like like what does James Gunn show up all of a sudden to finish this <laughs> thing off like <laughs> he could I totally think he could by the right. way um, so a question though yeah so at the end of this yes. right at the end we are we are left in in a new world question mark with a lot of very strange imagery we have the giant mm. ray face on the horizon you know this this enormous being we have shinji alone on a beach with asuka is it an ocean of lcl that they're standing in front of there are a lot of questions that i have um shinji wakes up and he puts his hands back on asuka's throat and chokes her until she replies to him and in the dub it might be different than it is in the sub i'm not 100 percent. so in the dub as shinji is choking asuka before we cut to black asuka says disgusting yes what did she say in the sub i don't know i wouldn't know i watched the dub so i watched the dub as well oh you did um, watch i believe the, i believe my that apologies <laughs> yeah no, 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 it's fine, yeah. No, and now I did watch... Now, the funny thing, there's actually a uh, another deleted scene on the DVD that has an alternate take of that ending. Hmm. So it's pretty much exactly the same thing, but that they didn't have the dub on. It's only in sub because it's like a deleted scene. And she says something to the effect of like, 
I would, I would, I would never, what is it? Like, I would never allow myself to cry like idiot Shinji or I don't know, something like that, right? Like, something so, to that effect. But is, is in essence the same kind of emotion being, you know, right. put so, out there. So what is your interpretation of that scene? Did did Shinji yeah. choose not <laughs> instrumentality? Did he choose okay, everybody's going to go back to just being people and try again? Like what is, how did you interpret that scene? Yeah, so here's what I think is going on. So, you know, we had this, you know, Ray uh, her, you know, forehead opened up and the tree of life went in there and then it sort of triggered the next phase. By the way, we didn't even talk about the real life footage of the whole sequence where oh, even though there was the deleted live action scene, there is the actual footage that made it into the film where it's like people watching the movie in the theaters and the the water and the, well, there are pieces it, like of the scenery, right? And things yeah, of that so nature. It's, it's scenes yeah. that we have seen like 50 times each in the series, but in real life. So we didn't realize that those yeah. were artist renderings of things that people in the area were actually seeing, right? So it adds this additional layer, again, of surreality because they're going, here's what those things actually look like. And I'm going, I thought this was an animated show. What is happening? And, <laughs> and then, you know, they're going, well, what about reality? So it's like, man, it is a beautiful, beautiful way to really, really drive that point home. Almost like a tree of life just getting stabbed right into the eye on your forehead that is, you know, uh, sort of a phallic uh, imagery thing going on. Yeah. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. And now one of the things that I had considered after sort of looking into the live action deleted scene and how that all unfolds is wondering if the live action scenes are actually the new world, like the new phase of evolution. Like maybe, maybe it's like, Hey, new world, you know, just like the old world or however the phrase goes, right? Like, uh, or meet the new world, same as the old world, you know, where the deleted scene was like Masato and all those people, right? But in the context of this new world, because also in the deleted live action scene, there's apparently one part which I had to read about because there was no way for me to know. But like apparently Shinji calls like some one of them on the phone and is like, I can't be there or something like that. The idea is that he's kind of like gone from the world which would trend with him sort of being the father, so to speak, of, like, the new race of humanity. Uh, that's just something that's out there. To, to answer your question specifically, though, okay, so, yes, it's it's post, you know, singularity or post-evolution. You know, everyone's turned into goo. Uh, we Ray has birthed the new humanity, etc. And we've got shinji and auska and they're just alone in this giant desolate world that's kind of pink and red and there's you know oceans of ltl and then we've also got the s2 evas that are basically like you know almost gravestones so to speak just planted mm -hmm. into the ground in a little sort of like a christ-like pose as well you know and i think that all of that again is just the sort of imagery associated with you know again reminding us that this is neon genesis evangelion like this is the new genesis and bringing up a lot of that re religious imagery i think what's occurred is that everything is wiped to zero and because shinji is within like shinji is basically i believe ultimately the soul that is going to be used to create the new Eva angel, whatever it is, right? Like they're, you know, the same way that they used 
arguably the, the same way that they arguably used Asuka's mom and then put her soul in the mm-hmm. Eva. I think that they're using Sinji and his soul to put into this Ray Eva hybrid, but it's basically like his soul that's going to be uh, the, the 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 mother or father of humanity, so to speak, right? So I think that sets up. That's kind of what's going on largely, and I think that the interaction between him and Auska is essentially metaphorical, and it's like Auska saying basically like, "Okay, bro, you're about to be the new. Uh, you're about to be the new shepherd of humanity. You know, you're about to birth it, and uh, you know, go do your thing, right? Like, get rid of me. You know, get me out of here, and you create humanity in your image." And, you know, he can't even bring himself to do that because the moment she goes and caresses his face, he's like, oh, right, I'm not supposed to be doing this. And I think she's just like, are you kidding me, bro? Are you kidding me that after all of this, you're the father of humanity, you're responsible for shepherding the next stage of evolution, and we're still going through your own bullshit, man? Come on. I think that's a... I think it's a perfect interpretation because it fits so well with how Asuka feels about Shinji. She's like, oh, everybody thinks you're so special, but you're actually just a whiny little brat who's yeah. like the beneficiary of nepotism. So, um, yeah, I mean, that's that's a good interpretation. And I, I think that I accept that personally because I was like, I didn't 100% get where we were at until you started describing the scenery because that scenery is mentally uh, immediately evocative of what we see when we're in when we're in Antarctica, right? So the ocean is red now and there's those stones sticking up out of the ocean. I didn't even consider that. So you're right. This is post third impact and it's either a metaphorical scene where Shinji's soul is deciding how to move forward or it's, you know, Shinji recognizing Asuka is never going to respect him even if he becomes the create you know the creator of the yeah. next step of humanity and she, he'll never be good enough for her and you know that's her confirming that and her going i could probably do a better job than you could at that i think <laughs> <laughs> yeah and obviously you know there are uh different interpretations maybe that people have out there um, i'm actually looking forward to now that we've kind of you know gotten our own opinions out there going back and seeing what what the internets and uh what some people there have to say about what that ending is but the important thing to, to remember too is that we, we we did see that. It's a it's a callback. Again, you know, we've got a number of callbacks. I don't think we mentioned it, but there's a scene it didn't happen too much longer before the end of it, and Shinji's talking to Auska and they're like quote unquote back in the apartment. And, you know, they're kind of arguing and she's like, you know, basically the same thing, like Shinji, take responsibility for yourself. And then he kind of freaks out and he's like, I just don't want you to leave me. Just tell me you won't leave me. And she's like, no. I won't tell you that. And then he takes a beat and then starts choking her. Right. And so I think that, you know, again, it's, it's a strong parallel to where, again, she's, he's, he's begging for her to just understand him, you know, which if you take a step back is her is, excuse me, him needing somebody's external validation to feel okay about how he is feeling And I think she's saying, dude, knock it off. I keep telling you, stop looking to me or anybody else for validation and believe in your damn self and you never do it. And so he does it again at the very end. And I think she's just like, disgusting. Like, once again, you can't take control. God damn it, man. She's going, even when all of humanity has one soul and you get to be part of the one soul ultra organism, 
you're still not sure of your own self-worth. That is just disgusting. Like she's just chastising him for still being Shinji. I think that that's, that's the answer that I'm going to go with now. I like that. Totally, man. Absolutely. Yeah. And, uh, and, and that's, by the way, I assume every person that stuck it out this far has indeed watched the show. Oh my gosh. But again, if you somehow made it through these five or six hours and didn't, that's literally how it ends. (laughs) All of this, these, you know, 26 to 30 hours, Shinji is choking Asuka on, uh, you know, beach in outer space, nowhere with red LTL oceans and S2. And she says, disgusting, cut out. Fade to not even fade, just cut to white, cut to black. Episode over. So, uh, very a very a very pointed statement too. Also, just like a, I think a little bit of a kick in the ass there at the end. <laughs> but yeah, man, that is Neon Genesis Evangelion, specifically End of Evangelion. Jesse, this has been so much fun, dude. Like you, I, I'm so impressed by the observations that you had here. I think I learned a lot by what you brought to the table. There are absolutely a number of things that I completely missed that you were able to point out and I was able to sort of build off of. So um, I really appreciate you, you know, taking this seriously and, you know, geeking out on this with me and jumping into this and, you know, being willing to spend some time considering what some of these things might be. Because that's the thing people don't realize, like, you know, there's some thinking time going on here. You know, you got to sit there and you got to ponder these things and look at them and consider how things might fit together. So, um, you know, in addition to just the time that you spent here on the show with us, I know there was a lot of prep work that you did. So once again, I just I loved this conversation. I loved the insight that we were able to get. I certainly would not have ever come close to understanding the series nearly as well as I did. And Hopefully everybody listening was able to gather some additional information as well. So thanks again, man. It was just so much fun. I have, I have to agree 100%, Jason, and thank you for giving me the opportunity. Um, I, I don't know if we mentioned it at the top, but you and I have never collaborated before. Uh, yeah. we just This is a, a thing that happened because we know some of the same podcasters, and I think that that really it's another layer of you know illustration of the power of this series in particular is – you know, two essentially totally independent people who have seen the entirety of the series can go, oh, I heard there is a guy who wants to talk about this and then sit down (laughs) and knock out like six hours of conversation about it, having never met each other before. Because it, it, I mean, it, what else is there, right? Evangelion is about the connection between people. So for us to be able to illustrate that in this way, I think is huge, man. And, and I got a mirror everything that you said this is the second time i have been all the way through the series in the movie this is the first time i've ever had the opportunity to discuss it with somebody and i feel like my understanding has just quadrupled at least even over the course of the last hour and a half i'm going oh there's new stuff that i figured out (laughs) and to jason's point if you haven't watched the series go watch it and do me a favor watch it by yourself watch it over the course of like three days binge it And if you can, only watch it when you're, like, an hour or two away from falling asleep. Because that's really going to, like, up your immersion to feel like you're in between mental states when you're watching this series. I mean, I know that sounds like a lot of restrictions, but trust me, I think you're going to have a good time if you do that. But yes, I do have to say thank you again, Jason. I have not seen almost any of the movies that I have heard discussed on Esoterica Cinema. but (laughs) We get that a lot. I have found myself enjoying discussions of those movies nonetheless. So I think that's a huge, um, 
I think that is a huge testament to what you and your co-host Ryan are normally putting out. And I am very grateful to be here for some bonus content, some off-season content to help you guys get through the weeds. Awesome. Thanks a lot, man. Really appreciate that. And yeah, I mean, you know, we're certainly... uh we do a lot of guest spots during the regular season, so I think that there's probably a scenario out there that's pretty likely where we have you on for season three. Uh, if you know, we do, you know, we do the random movie selection, so it'll be interesting to see because, you know, you talk about sci-fi on your show. This is obviously a sci-fi series. I'm guessing that we'll probably get you in on a non-sci-fi movie um, just because that's the odds of it, and uh, I'm sure you'll be able to bring the same level of insight to uh, maybe some... Well, what is hopefully deeper affair? Sometimes we end up getting these really light films because you know we'll just throw films we've we've never seen them, so we don't know, you know. And it's like, oh, that wasn't, you know, it was okay, but there's not really a lot to talk about. There's not a lot of meat on the bone. So, um, if you want meat, though, Neon Genesis Evangelion, plenty there for you. And uh, Jesse, why don't you go ahead and uh, and let everyone know uh, once again what your show is about and where they can find it. Yes, so I am the host of Sudden But Inevitable, the sci-fi rewatch podcast dedicated to single-season space westerns that were canceled mercilessly before their time. Not specifically by design, but that does happen to be most of what we covered. So we've covered Firefly, both versions of Cowboy Bebop, uh, Space Sweepers, a lot of stuff like that. We've also had an off-season where we did some movies. Our whole thing is that we introduce people to things for the first time. So my friends had never seen Firefly or they had never seen Cowboy Bebop, that sort of a thing. Um, go check us out, Sudden But Inevitable, wherever you find podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts. If you would like to follow me on Twitter, I am at Sudden But. On Instagram, I am at Sudden But Inevitable Podcast. And if you'd like to watch the show live, you can go to youtube.com slash twistmyarmpodcast every Friday night at 8.30 p.m. Mountain Standard Time. Again, I have to say thank you, Jason, for having me here at Esoterica Cinema. I have had a blast. I cannot wait to talk about basically anything else with you. Uh, <laughs> we do have our next season coming up, so I will be in touch for your guest appearance for that. And awesome. I hope you are ready to sit in front of an audience. It is a live audience, and it is a lot of fun, and the chat gets I don't want to say crazy. I'll just say uh, interactive. So uh, excellent. That's where you can find me if you need a little bit more. Uh, if the six hours hasn't done it for you, go find me there. Absolutely. So, yeah, Jesse, again, had a great time. Thanks so much for coming on. Everybody who listened and stuck it out for this entire epic six hour conversation, thank you so much for listening. I'd have to ma imagine if you made it this far that you were able to get a little something from the conversation. And look, Obviously, this is Jesse and I's personal interpretations of what we watched. Um, you know, now I'm going to go do some research as to what the Internet at large thinks, what some other theories are. And maybe we'll find out that like, oh, you know what? This is we didn't consider this or this theory over here makes a lot of sense and kind of changes the way that I might consider this. If you're one of these people where, you know, something that we've said or maybe a conclusion that we came to you don't necessarily see it the same way or you even know for a fact that the creator intended differently, we would love to hear about that. And you can reach out to us at Esoterica Cinema via Instagram as well as Twitter. And then you can also reach out to us EsotericaCinema at gmail.com. And once again, you know, let us know what you think about uh, what you saw. Let us know what you've heard some of the different interpretations are and let's compare those. Now, 
this pretty much is going to wrap up uh, this little sort of science fiction thing that we've been doing for the past couple of months. So we are about to get going on season three again. So you will see a return to a lot of that long form content. Not that this wasn't long form content. This is the, the longest form content. But uh, <laughs> we will be going back to our uh, standard episodes, looking at movies and having a great time discussing them with you all, as well as getting back to our silly little sketches and improv bits. So. Thanks so much for joining us for this series on Neon Genesis Evangelion. We will see you later on Esoterica Cinema. And that's it, ladies and gentlemen. The whole shebang, the whole enchilada. Jesse and I have now spent a total of almost five and a half hours with you talking about the final six episodes of Neon Genesis Evangelion and the movie that redid the final two episodes, End of Evangelion. I know I learned a lot. I still have a lot of questions, but I have way more answers than I did before. There's a ton of stuff that I didn't even know was in there or even worth considering that now I still have to go back and watch it again, and I'm probably still going to have to watch it again, and you know what? I'm going to love every single moment of it. We really hope that you enjoyed the discussion and that you learned a lot as well, and we will see you next time on Esoterica Cinema.